Well, as we start our message recap for this new sermon series called What is Truth, we're going to be joined by some guests and some friends at the Heights. And I am so excited this week to join Dr. David Larry, who is a church member at the Heights. He is also an atmospheric scientist and a professor of chemistry, or excuse me, of physics at the University of Texas at Dallas. I really want to get into this third one because this gets into the atmospheric chemistry and the physics of it all. This fascinates me. So the third one is that there's what you're saying is there's secrets of the universe baked into Hebrew words. Yes, there's insights there. So the way I like looking at things simply because I can understand them. When they get to, it's almost... I've always found that those people that I've had the pleasure of encountering that understand things, you know they understand them because they present them simply. If it sounds like a load of mumbo jumbo, not every case, but a lot of the cases because they didn't understand There's it. some posturing there, sure. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. simplicity is a mark of someone who understands. And it also can be readily transferred to others. So um, these examples of the insights of Hebrew, maybe we can look at two different types. Um, One type which we'll finish on is insights of how the world works physically. But others is insight of how humans, the dynamic between us and our relationship with each other and God himself. So this one, when I first, somebody showed this to me, it really blew me away. So it's all about how in Hebrew, the words man and woman, or husband and wife are written. Now what is remarkable, so this, none of this is me inventing it. This is really, really old. This is like, like the oldest bit of scripture is 6,000 years old, and it was in Hebrew. So that Hebrew that was in that 6,000-year-old passage, these words are found there. So it's not someone recently coming up with this. This, was, this is ancient. So the first thing which blew me away was actually the name of God, which we then will see will be very relevant to the man and the woman. So the name of God is probably the most remarkable name in any language that I have ever seen. So I'll tell you why. It's actually a verb. So names are not normally verbs, right? Typically. Yes. But this is three tenses of a verb, and it's in the intransitive. So it's the verb to be. And so it doesn't just mean I was, I am, I will be. God's name, and actually his nature, so his name characterizes his nature. In fact, what's really interesting is the Hebrew word for name is Shem. And a Shem, a name, lets you place something there, Shem, where it belongs. So the purpose of a name 
Hebrew gives you that, us that insight, is to place something just there where it belongs. So the name of God lets us place him just there, well, it's probably up there, <laughs> where he belongs. So it means he gave being, he gives being, he gives fresh new being, however much our past might forfeit it. So his name tells us he's not just our creator. He's the God of second chances. So history, as recorded in scripture, bears that out. He's the God of second chances, of grace beyond measure. And it's his name that lets us put him there where he belongs. So this name, translated I was, I am, I will be, sometimes transliterated Jehovah or Yahweh. Um, what's really interesting about Hebrew and Greek, in fact, is an aspect we don't have in English, that each letter is also a number. And I'm not talking about getting into numerology and um, hocus-pocus stuff. It's just that each letter is also a number. Yes. So if you were to find, for example, one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, <laughs> they're very fragile, but an ancient <laughs> manuscript, mm -hmm. you wouldn't find any numbers in there that we would recognize. So the modern Hebrew manuscripts, you would see their numbers for chapters and verses. But in these old manuscripts, you actually just have letters because all the letters are also numbers. So this wonderful name, that means I gave being, I give being, I give fresh new being. If you add up the four letters in it, it comes to 26. Now, all the letters of the alphabet, the first of them is an aleph. So just like in English, we go A to Z. Hebrew goes aleph to tav. So this aleph, the letter that comes first, that everything follows, also has the numerical value 1. So this letter that has the numerical value 1, the aleph, has encrypted in it the numerical value 26, which is the, the numerical value of God's name. Beginning in the So end. there's like a little animation that shows this. So that's pretty interesting. It really right? is. Who is this that came first? So you can see there's like, there's the language is talking in allegories. Who is this that came first that everything follows? It's God. And who is this God? And many of the, the terms, the titles of God start with Aleph. Elohim starts with Aleph. Adonai, Lord, starts with Aleph. So it so happens that the name for man and woman, Ish and Isha, also start with an aleph. And what's really interesting in is they both start with an aleph. So it's not that a man is more in God's image or a woman is more than God's in, in God's image. They are equally in God's image. So each of these two words, Ish and Isha, they have three letters, man, woman, husband, wife. So they have two common letters, an aleph and a shin, 
and two dissimilar letters. One that's only in the man, a yod, and one that's only in the woman, a hey. So we read in the New Testament, Jesus said, um, not the least in the King James, jot, jot or, or tittle, tittle will pass away. So this jot is the yod, the short, the smallest Hebrew letter, which is actually the first letter of God's name. So there's one letter of God's name, the short form of God's name in the man, and one letter of the short form of God's name in the woman. Now, what's the significance of this short form? We're all probably familiar with the word hallelujah. So what does hallelujah mean? Hallel means praise. The U ending means you praise. It's a command. And the Yah is the short form of God's name. So if someone is your friend, you might contract their name, like David to Dave, Samuel to Sam, or whatever it is. So the diminutive is a sign of endearment. So when we say hallelujah, we're actually using the diminutive of the God of the universe. So these two letters that spell the diminutive of God's name are one in the man, one in the woman. So when a husband and wife comes together with a higher respect, they're drawn closer to each other. But the language is very even-handed if we want to take this anthropomorphism like this. It also says, if we were to take the opposite position, as um, I would suggest is quite prevalent, don't give me this God stuff. Delete the letter of God's name from the man. Delete the letter of God's name from the woman. In other words, I'll do it my way. I don't need any instructions. They both spell the same thing, esh. So if you were to take a, a visit to Israel today, on every fire extinguisher, you would see esh. It's fire. fire. So basically, when we come closer to the Lord, we come closer to each other. If we delete his concepts from our life, it's the same result for both of us. Things get hot. and if we keep going, they get really hot till we're burned up. That relationship falls apart. So I found that helpful in my life. If things are getting kind of hot and snippy, <laughs> I know which direction I have to move. It's like my selfishness. I need to humble myself and move more towards the Lord. And in the process, yeah we move closer to each other. Dude, that'll preach. And that gets into that fourth one of saying that, hey, this stuff really works, that it actually applies to our day-to-day -day life, and it was written for a reason. And you kind of summarized that fourth one in there really well. So that was social science. You said there's a second aspect to it with more physical science. Yes. Talk to me about the physical science that's put into the Hebrew words that there's no way that in the history of science, they could have known about. Yes. So I get so carried away about this. In fact, this bit that I'm going to share with you, uh, a long time ago now, when I was about 21, I was attending a university which was in London, and I lived um, about an hour away from London. So as I would go on the train every day, I first 
in one day I learned the alphabet and then I was learning to read like one word at a time and looking up the meanings of the Hebrew. And when I was reading through this passage in Genesis, I just couldn't contain my excitement for two reasons. One is this was a text that was 6,000 years old and I could still read it. It's like, how cool is that? But then some of the, the insights, they just blew me away. And I never had such an appreciation before I started lifting back the lid and finding it. So the very first phrase in the Bible in Hebrew sounds like this. It sounds like Bereshit bara Elohim. So what is really interesting in Hebrew is there's only 22 letters. Like in English, we have 26, and we have uppercase and lowercase. Hebrew doesn't have upper and lowercase, so there's less than half the characters. Each letter is also a number. And all root words have only two or three letters. So if you think of how many words there are in English, depends how you count it, 100,000, 200,000, we, we borrow words from all other languages, it's increasing all the time. But Hebrew only has about 2,000 root words, so that doesn't mean it's not descriptive. So just like from three primary colors, you can mix and you can create a vast palette and have every color, billions of colors, from your three primary colors. So it's much the same way in Hebrew. Each letter is a character. It's an entity in its own right. So remember I said that when they write a manuscript, the letters don't touch? That's because they're a character. They bring to the word the meaning of the letter. So a result of that is phonetically similar words often end up having similar meanings. Mm -hmm. Sounds alike, similar meaning. Yes. And so that's because words that sound similar have some of the same letters in, and they're bringing some aspect of that character to it. So this first word, birashit, the b is a prefix. It just means in. The rashit means beginning, and it comes from the root rosh, the head of something, the start of something, everything follows. So that word tells us that this is the beginning of time as we know it. This is not a beginning in space. There's another word for that. This is the beginning in time as we know it. And then the second word is bara, creates. And in scripture, that word is only ever used by God. So you and I can be a former, a molder, but we are constrained by our starting materials. Like if I have a DIY project, I go to the Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever, and my starting materials enable me to make, form, shape, build something. There's a phrase ex nihilo from nothing in Latin, or in Hebrew, they actually say yesh ma'ain. So there is from nothing. So this word create actually comes from is related to a set of cognate words that sound very similar that help us understand it. So these different word means um, free, outside, loosen, blossom, produce, rejuvenate, or even flee. 
So the idea is God uncovered his mind. He like liberated his thoughts and they came into being. Like we have the phrase, no sooner said than done. So we're all familiar with the Ten Commandments, but creation happened with ten words. So in Hebrew, there's two words for word. One is as in the commandments, the bar. So it's a statement of fact. We like it, we don't like it, it doesn't really matter. It's a ruler. Like this is the way it is. Take it or leave it. This is a standard. There's another word for word, Omer, and that's in Genesis. So 10 times in the beginning of Genesis, in creation, we have this phrase, Vayomer Elohim, and said God, like, or and God said. And with those statements, everything was made. Now, this was most striking for me. So one of the moments on the train that I got really excited was with the commands, let there be light. Because in Hebrew, the commands, in English, the command and the result are two different things. We read, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So light is common and be, but the others, they're distinct phrases. In Hebrew, they're identical. Mm. And they're separated by this letter, the vav, the and, which is like almost a line. So it's as it comes out of God's mouth, it takes form. When God says, it has to happen, it cannot be that it doesn't happen. For example, it said that God saw it was not good that the man should be alone, so he did not stay alone. Everything that God said is good persisted. Anything he said is not good, his days are numbered. <laughs> and so that was just like really Absolutely. exciting to me. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I'll just the last word of this is Elohim. Um, and that is the word, one of the titles of God. But what's really interesting there is it's the masculine plural. So we see the very word for God is plural. And we see several times in Genesis, it says, and, and God said, let us make man in our image. So right back from there, at the beginning, we see there's a relationship within God, which is kind of blows the mind. But um, so that's there. All right. So all of this was to say, then the first um, thing God creates is the heavens and the earth. And um, so it was Birashit bara Elohim in the beginning and created God. Et hashamayim va et haaret. So I just want to tell you about this et. So in um, Britain, there's this map called the A to Z or like the A to Z. So basically, it's the map of London or whatever city from beginning to end. So this word et in Hebrew is the same as that idea. It's the first letter and the last letter, like the A to Z. Whenever it's a prefix before another letter, another word, it means the object and everything that pertains to it. So this first phrase, it says, God created the heavens 
and everything that pertains to it, because it's prefixed with this ad, and the earth and everything that pertains to it. So that also means the impact it has on us. So if you go out to see a starry night, you go, wow, God made it to make you feel wow, because that was part of it. So this word for heavens, and I'm getting really close to the end of this point. This word for heavens is hashamayim. Now, what's really down to earth about this is the word sham means there. We mentioned that. We mentioned that earlier. Yeah. So this shamayim, you could take it as the plural of there. So there's the earth, and then there's the rest of it. There and there and there and there, the rest of the universe, shamayim. But you could also read it another way, shamayim. There is water. And actually, <laughs> that is very true. So if you were to go vertically up in a balloon, and instead of a thermometer sticking out of the balloon, you had a sensor measuring the amount of water, um, you would have a lot of water close to the surface in the air as it evaporates from the trees and lakes and so on. But as you go up, it decreases, but then it goes up again. So there's three uses of the word heaven, typically, in scripture and in English. There's the stars of heaven, which is like way above the atmosphere. There's the birds of heaven between the earth and the clouds. And then I guess heaven is the place where God is, the realm, that other realm. So it actually defines part of heaven, like there is water. It's the gap between the water below and, and the, water above. the water above. And then the word for earth, aretz, comes from the root rats, which means to run. So the earth is not stationary. It's running on its orbit. So a 6,000-year-old document it actually tells us some of the key things of the atmosphere and the planet. The Earth is in motion. It never stops. And our atmosphere, a key component is water. So after nitrogen and oxygen, water is like the next in line. Well, with argon too. So it's, you know, it's a really key component Pretty uh, amazing. of the atmosphere. Um, so I had a nice visualization of the Earth in orbit. That <laughs> is pretty cool. But fifty-five hundred years before Copernicus and Galileo would make that discovery, it was already in the Hebrew text. Yes, it's in the definition, in the meaning of the word. It's crazy. Yeah. So, um, so there's a, another couple of those. Um, as you go through this Genesis account, it doesn't just stop there. It says, um, and God said, let's divide the waters below from the waters above. And he calls that, that word to, um, in Hebrew is the word rakia, it means to stretch out. So as you go up in altitude, the atmosphere becomes more rarefied. The pressure drops, which is another way of saying you're stretching it out. So that's what the Hebrew word means. And another meaning of it is to flatten. So if you've ever seen a picture of Earth from the space station, when you look at the horizon, you can see the atmosphere. 
And it looks like this flattened out bit, um, which is really remarkable. And another meaning of the same word um, is to mix. So the part of the atmosphere where you and I live is called the troposphere. And that was named by some French guy about a couple of hundred years ago. And it's from the Greek word tropos in the idea of mixing. So 6,000 years ago, the Bible with the Hebrew tells us about the stretched out of the atmosphere, that it's flattened, the mixing, that there's water there, that the earth is in orbit. And we've only just looked at a few words. It's like, this guy knew what he's talking about. And that's the beauty of it. It's like, it's, it's God, it's almost like God put code of the universe into his text. And it takes this whole other meaning to scripture is inspired. And it, it, it's, it just takes it to where it's, oh my goodness, there's no way Absolutely. that this could be faked. Absolutely. So there's one final bit of this that I would just like to finish on because it's helped me personally. The way it describes the planet is remarkable. So um, in English, we have it, and the earth was formless and void. So, okay. It's a bit hard to visualize that. The Hebrew phrase there is tohu vavohu, which has actually gone into German. So German has borrowed that phrase. Um, and the etymology of it is take some digging, but it basically comes down to this. Objective and subjective chaos. Painful to think about, painful to be there. So we read a little further on that the whole planet was covered in water. That is the deep, it said, hovered over the deep. Now, this word for deep is the word tehum. And it comes from a root, hamam, which means like to bubble and boil, the state of ebullition. So if you've ever used glass cookware, so imagine on the stove in front of you, you have a glass saucepan. And in that glass saucepan is water, and you've brought it to the boil. When it's a glass saucepan, you can see that the bubbles form from the bottom and come up. So that's what ebullition is. It's a word we've borrowed from French. Um, so that's what this word, hama, the tehum, the deep, means. So this dark planet, as it was at that point, was covered in water, but that water wasn't cold water. It wasn't static water. It was bubbling and boiling. There was, the planet was covered in it. There was no place to put your feet. So that was described as this objective and subjective chaos. And hovering over it was the spirit of God. And it's the word there, hover, is mirahefet. It's like if you ever go underneath an electric power line, and it's kind of a bit of a moist, humid day, you can hear that buzz of the electricity a little bit more. It's like zzzz. So the spirit was hovering over the water, waiting for God's command. And then the next of these 10 creative words happen, and there was a separation between the waters and the land. So it says, the earth was. So what you now see as this beautiful planet, land and sea, mountains and lakes, it didn't used to be that way. 
-hmm. And what changed it in one moment was one of these 10 creative words. Now, why that then helps me is that actually is a metaphor because sometimes our life is painful to think about and painful to be there. It feels like our whole environment is bubbling and boiling. There's no place to put our feet. So one thing transformed the earth from this bubbling and boiling aqua planet, painful to think about, painful to be there, the word of God up to fruit. So that is what transforms my painful to think about, painful to be there. When I turn to him and just ask him, like the selfishness in a relationship, um, just submitting ourselves out of love. Um, so that's what I mean by you learn the truth of the word by doing it. Because sometimes I don't feel like humbling myself, you know, get too big for my own boots. Well, the transformative aspect of the word of God also being the second person of the Trinity and how Jesus himself is our the word. The word. Exactly. Thank you so much for taking time to be Thank with us you. today. I wish we had more time. We'll hopefully have you back and we can talk further about these things and, and many more things. Dr. Larry, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord.